Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. And today I'm going to talk to uh, business owners, small business owners, large business owners, department managers, and other bosses. But if you're not currently a boss, stay tuned. You'll learn some tips on what to expect out of your own boss. Furthermore, you may become a boss someday, or even if you don't, uh, you can get a good opinion of what you should expect out of your boss. And if uh, you're not getting the good quality of boss that uh, all of us deserve, maybe it's time to either speak up or maybe move on. You know, in ever-increasing numbers, employees too young for wrinkles, bifocals, or midlife bulge are joining the management ranks in enterprises large and small. (laughs) You know, I saw a cartoon a couple years back, Dilbert, you may probably know that uh, cartoon about offices and uh, all the craziness that goes on there, but there was a... uh, supervisor or a manager that uh, quite frankly looked like a baby (laughs) he had diapers on as a matter of fact and he looked distracted there for a moment and then asked one of his employees to change his diaper for him now i don't think that uh, your boss is probably that young but uh, at times we see young bosses coming in that supervise seasoned employees like you and me that are old enough to be their parents Demographics and cost-cutting all across corporate America are the primary causes for this role reversal. And as managers from the first wave of the 76 million strong baby boom generation retire or are laid off in favor of younger and cheaper replacements, businesses, government offices, and not-for-profit enterprises routinely must recruit, groom, and promote younger, less experienced candidates into management positions. You know, the impending clash of generational cultures has potential to produce stress both for young bosses and for subordinates like you and I, or you and me, I should say, long-tenured veterans who have prospered for years in traditional top-down hierarchies have grown accustomed to the dictum, we all know it, with age and experience comes authority and promotion. And one can imagine our shock and concern uh, when one day we come into work and we find that uh, someone 20 years younger without advanced warning is promoted over us. Am I being tossed aside? How can someone with so little on-the-job experience tell me what to do? How in the world am I supposed to report to a manager younger than my daughter? And a similar reversal of roles is likely for, uh, uh, you know, so many senior employees these days retire or uh, maybe just outright quit from a prime 
primary vocation than seek to launch a whole new second career starting at the bottom, and they're very likely to end up with a boss younger than them. And young bosses, of course, also may experience high anxiety. Will a subordinate with 25 years in the business take me seriously? How do I overcome resentment? How can I authenticate my authority? And how in the world will I inspire veteran staff members to abandon Stone Age notions and interfere, uh, interface effectively with the technology and culture of today's information age. You know, as a long-serving representative of our graying North American workforce, I shall henceforth dispense unsolicited advice to managers young and old on how to inspire folks like you and me, uh, perhaps your elders, and overcome their intransigence, uh, anxiety, and resentment. And to ensure that your elders remain vibrant members of your team, I implore you to pay heed to the following seven challenges. Challenge number one, tell us what you want. Effective communication between inexperienced managers and seasoned subordinates is an absolute necessity if we are to move forward in harmony together. The two of us do not always view the world from identical perspectives. Please do not simply assume that because we have been around for a while, we automatically fathom precisely what you desire. Tell us what you expect, and please seek our input before just arbitrarily doling out our work assignments. Challenge number two, respect our experience both in the workplace and in life. You know, the 55-year-old career homemaker seeking her first job outside the home in 30 years has a wealth of organizational and human relations skills to contribute, and whatever the immediate challenge, it's probable that one or more of your senior subordinates has been there and done that, and I trust you'll look beyond our formal education or lack thereof or our most recent job history. Challenge number three, excuse me, make us feel special. Admittedly, we don't feel that wonderful being passed over for the position you now hold, but please overcome our resentment by demonstrating time and again that we still belong. Sometimes a simple thank you for a job well done is all we will need. Uh, Ask for our input before decisions are made, and when asked, we'll be honored to help train and mentor less experienced colleagues so long as we're not expected to do all our regular work and do that in addition. Excuse me. You know, when merited, we also appreciate an occasional raise, incentive bonus, or other form of monetary reward. We're not just in this for the fun, although we want to enjoy our jobs. Challenge number four, offer us the training we need. Forget the fact that we're not going to be around that much longer. Just because we're over 40 or over 50 or over 60 does not mean we have no desire to learn new skills or to explore fresh horizons. Like our younger colleagues, we need to remain abreast of the latest technologies, and regardless of age, keeping us up to date will be well worth the expense. Even those of us 12 months or less from retirement need training uh, to master the latest enterprise software so that we can mine information needed to make sound decisions. And without adequate training, we'll not be able to justify our salaries. 
Here's challenge number five. Try not to lord us over us, uh, lord it over us that you're the boss. In all likelihood, subordinates over 40 grew up in a traditional command and control environment, and we know that you're the one in charge. Despite our obvious disappointment over not receiving a promotion, we do respect your authority and will follow you so long as you demonstrate competence, impartiality, and a totally ethical uh, integrity, completely ethical behavior. In addition to giving us orders, we ask that you uh, coach us to sharpen our personal focus and hone professional skills. And challenge number six, please recognize that we've invested many years in this company and have a lot to lose. Can you help fulfill our overriding desire for security? At our age, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to locate a comparable position in another organization or company. We also are concerned about adequate health benefits, educating our teenagers, and planning for retirement. Are you willing uh, to offer an attractive pension plan and cafeteria benefit options that will enhance our sense of security? And challenge number seven, Above all else, do not stereotype us or assume that we are unable to adopt to change. Every employee of middle age is a unique, living, and breathing human being, not a stereotypical member of the baby boom generation or Generation X. Don't you hate all these monikers they throw about? Do the so-called experts honestly believe that 76 million men and women in their second half of life all think and behave the same? More than a few of us are open at mid-career to bold experimentation with new ideas, radical new technologies, and unconventional reporting structure. And yes, we do know how to uh, operate smartphones and send and receive email. You know, as the gap widens between availability and demand for young talent, especially in certain high-tech segments of the economy, gray hair at the temples may indeed come to be viewed as a career asset rather than a liability. After all, we know the customers and what they want from us. Uh, We know the industry and what it takes to compete. We know the strengths and weaknesses of our competitors and what they're up to. And we understand and, uh, what the corporate culture is and what made us into the company we are today. And uh, we know how to help keep us there. And let's uh, examine the information technology field as an example where conventional wisdom, as you know, dictates that anyone over 40 is functionally obsolete. In somewhat ironic but not totally unanticipated trend, we now witness laid off or recently retired IT professionals called back as paid consultants to train recently hired uh, to mentor and collaborate with younger, uh, maybe recently rehired, less experienced former junior colleagues. Would it not make sense uh, to retain a number of these mature technology consultants as full-time employees? You know, in Coming up with inspiration for midlife employees, I I developed what I call the 16 E's of seasoned employee motivation. I don't have time to go through all of them, but here are a few. One, empower onboard veterans, grant qualified subordinates broad discretion in establishing priorities, expanding personal boundaries, self-planning, and managing the workday, exchange information, 
create an information democracy, share intelligence and strategy with all critical employees so that they become keenly aware of the big picture, also exchange seasoned employees between departments and functions so that no one becomes stale performing the same old, same old for year after year. Uh, how about eliciting feedback? On a routine basis, poll your experienced veterans to obtain their perspective on the issues of today and tomorrow and ask for advice in meeting per, uh, perplexing challenges. Encourage subordinates at mid-career and beyond. Remind long-tenured employees they continue to play a vital role in reshaping the enterprise future and provide access to enterprise mentoring regardless of chronological age. And that may be an older person being invented, uh, mentored by a younger person. How about uh, entice veterans to recommit to your enterprise by offering an inspired vision of the future along with the promise of active employer support for realistic career advancement intentions and also the promise of an active participation in building the company's future. And how about employ the full range of employee capabilities? Challenge oddborn veterans to uncover hidden talents and to undertake adventuresome new assignments. How about elevate the performance of seasoned employees by continually challenging them to new heights and rewarding them generously for accomplishment of individual and collective uh, targets? How about expand incentive programs so that every deserving employee, regardless of age, has a realistic opportunity to earn meaningful monetary rewards and extend the careers of dedicated midlife employees by enriching the workday experience and positively challenging them to extend work-related boundaries. And finally, engage those employees nearing retirement right up until their final day on the job. Boy, that may be a challenge, but it's certainly worth it. Honor soon retirees in advance for their many years of dedicated service and challenge them with personally enriching assignments to close out their careers. And if you and your senior leadership colleagues are consistently are able consistently to promote the 16 E's, and you can obtain the rest of those E's by previewing my book. Uh, if you uh, main, promote those 16 E's of seasoned employee motivation, your team will be well on its way to conserving and enriching uh, your company's most prized asset, the highly experienced and uniquely qualified collection of seasoned onboard employees who drive your day-to-day -day operations. At this point, I invoke one final E and end this segment, but before we go, uh, I suggest you stay tuned because we're going to uh, have a segment all about uh, filing taxes as a self-employed individual. That's coming up right after this. And before I go also, may I suggest and recommend a vital resource for challenging and inspiring your veteran employees, and better yet, a comprehensive blueprint to recreate and re-energize your company and your employees top to bottom, bottom to top, and that includes you. It's my second book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines by Roy C. Richards. 
In my book, I present a five-fold formula designed to restore positive momentum by early diagnosis and treatment of the symptoms of decline, identification and evaluation of collective strengths, traditions and resources upon which to build and weaknesses to overcome, three inspirational exercises intended to revitalize the personal lives and the careers of onboard employees, and four, merging of individual and collective objectives into fully engaged circles of cooperation which tie to your company objectives. That's so crucial. And five, empowerment and reward for every dedicated and capable contributor regardless of age. We begin from the premise that your enterprise is best transformed by reigniting the creative energies and the collective spirit of those presently on board. You certainly wouldn't want to have to tear down and rebuild the whole company going out and laying off all your present employees and and hiring a whole bunch of new ones and then inspiring them uh, to learn the company from scratch. I don't think you want to teach all these new employees everything on your own either, do you? Uh, You can preview and purchase my second book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines, uh, either through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or go directly to our website, MiddleAgeRenewal.com. You know, there's a whole bunch of blogs, there's uh, 10 videos, there's a whole bunch of resources, most of them free on our website. And also, it's a chance for you to buy uh, my newest book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, or that's my first book, or this current book, Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. Well, in this segment, we're going to talk to all of you out there who are self-employed, and I'm talking about those of you in business as an individual, not incorporated as a C-Corp, an S-Corp, or LLC, or legally established as a partnership. In other words, in the jargon of the IRS, you are a sole proprietorship. And here are a few examples. Open an eBay store, work as a freelancer, an independent consultant, or run a home-based business, maybe uh, multi-level marketing. A lot of people still do that, I guess. Perhaps every after years working for someone else, you've only recently taken, uh, taken steps to be your own boss to make that plunge, and if so, congratulations and best of luck. Or maybe you've been self-employed for some time, so by now you know, to quote my guest, being self-employed brings forth a huge range of emotions from the thrill of knowing you were in charge to the terror of that same knowledge. I love that quote. And one of the potential terrors that crop up around this time of year is completing and filing your federal 1040 and perhaps also state uh, annual tax returns. And here are just a few of the uh, possible questions. What records must I maintain to support income, costs of goods sold, and expenses reported to the IRS, and how best can I tame the paperwork beast, and how much Social Security and Medicare taxes will I be required to pay, which cash outflows are deductible and which are not. I mean, these are just a few of the questions that uh, 
uh, people run into. And my guest, certified public accountant Lisa London, is here with answers to these questions and more. And Lisa London, CPA, has spent three decades working in public accounting as an auditor, small business accountant, and venture capital and nonprofit consultant. She's known worldwide as the accountant beside you, based upon the title of her series of authored books and resources for the self-employed, for churches, and for nonprofit organizations. And she's author of a brand new book that we'll highlight today, Banish Your Bookkeeping Nightmares, the go-to guide for the self-employed to save money, reduce frustration, and satisfy the IRS. Sounds like a great book to have, especially this time of year. And by the way, in her spare time, Lisa sneaks away to write historical fiction, and her debut novel, Darker Than Night, has become a popular selection for book clubs. And hello, Lisa London, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Well, thanks for having me aboard, Roy. I guess my first question, with a husband and four children and all your accountant beside you series of books and resources, how the heck did you make time to write a novel? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to do something for the sanity, right? So yeah. I, I have to exercise both sides of the brain. After I do accounting for a while, it's kind of <laughs> nice to go, um, go historical fiction for a change. That's true. That's good balance to an accountant <laughs> to do something <laughs> fictional for a change. I guess we should call you Superwoman instead of Lisa. I don't know. <laughs> but let's uh, let's get down. Well, let's begin with the basics. What does the IRS require to classify your independent activity as a legitimate business rather than calling it a hobby? Well, for starters, the first thing you need to know is that you make more than four hundred dollars worth of income. Now, that's not. Uh, that's not net. That's the gross income you make of more than $400. You have to report it. Um, and if you make money on it, then um, you can report it as a hobby or a business. And it, it, you'd have a little less uh, paperwork to do if it's a hobby. But if you're going to lose money, <laughs> which sometimes in your first year business, that happens, right? Yeah. Um, they want to know that you treated it seriously as a business to let you deduct that loss, and we, we uh, have to fill out a form called Schedule C. But the yeah. most important things to remember for deducting it as a business instead of a loss, I mean, sorry, as a hobby, is that you have to know that they, the IRS wants to know that you took it seriously. So. Yeah. You don't have to have experience in that field before. You can be a newbie at it, but you have to yeah. show that you educated yourself how to run this type of business, right. how to do these sorts of things. Uh, I think it's a good idea to keep a separate bank account. That shows oh. you're keeping it serious. Yeah. Um, if you are a have a hobby, say you're a, an avid golfer, and you're yeah. thinking, well, I'll get some golf lessons, and that'll offset some of the green fees I'm having to pay. <laughs> well... <laughs> That's a great thing to do, but the IRS, if, if you then start deducting all your trips to different golf courses and, and calling it a business expense, <laughs> the IRS can find that a little suspect. They're not going to think you're taking that real seriously. So uh, documentation is key and, yeah. and seriousness about it. Also documenting the painful times of doing the business, see how much time does it take to make paperwork and, and to do the marketing and those kind yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, is another way to keep that, making sure the business is treated as a business. Well, let's say your independent activity must be classified as a hobby rather than a business. Uh, what's, there's one major disadvantage to that, and what is that? 
The only real big disadvantage is that you have to um, deduct. You cannot deduct any losses. So yeah. <laughs> you can't so that, have more expenses than the income you take in from it. In other words, that's exactly right. Whereas in a business, some some years we have losses. So that that's the big difference. Um, and also, you can't deduct any of your expenses if you don't itemize your deductions. Oh yeah. Uh, if you're a hobby. So well, you have to show the income regardless, but you don't yeah. have to show the expenses unless well, if you're, you're uh, If you're a sole proprietor whose uh, activity qualifies as a business, how do you report business income or loss to the IRS? What's the form you use for that? Well, that's called the Schedule C. And in uh, my my new book you had mentioned, Banish Your Bookkeeping Nightmare, which, if I can brag for a moment, just hit number one on Amazon's Small Business Bookkeeping category yesterday. Um, for the launch, we just launched it. Um, it uh, the Schedule C lists the income and the cost of goods sold and then all the types of deductions you can take. Yeah. Uh, and so in my Banish Your Bookkeeping Nightmare, I actually – Show everything. I show you that that reform, and then I tell you every single line item. What types of things go in it? Oh, that's great. And, <laughs> and the best piece of advice I have to know whether something is deductible or not is to keep in mind of that IRS rule of um, necessary and business, necessary business expense <laughs> and reasonable. So a lot of things can be necessary, but not necessarily reasonable. So one of the examples. You take your spouse out to uh, lunch every day and charge it off to the IRS and claim you're uh, deducting <laughs> your uh, discussing business at lunch <laughs> 365 days a year. That's probably not very reasonable. <laughs> that's probably not very necessary nor reasonable. <laughs> I, I like to give my clients the example of you know, you may need a, a um, clock in your office to keep tracking. You know, charged by the hour or whatever. You may need a clock in your office, but it doesn't need to be a Rolex on your on your wrist. So it's reasonable to have something, but it's not it's not necessary to have it be a Rolex. So, you know, it may be necessary to go to some continuing education courses to to get yeah. better in your business or for your licensing or whatever. Yeah. But it's not necessarily reasonable for it to be in the Virgin Islands, okay? <laughs> like these doctors that go to uh, conventions in Hawaii and yeah. off A lot of them get away with it, I guess. <laughs> well, there there are some re- I mean, there's a reason to have it. In um, foreign countries are, are scrutinized quite um, differently. So if right. you're saying I have I have to go to Germany to this, then you might have a little bit different. The rule of having to prove that was necessary and reasonable. <laughs> so. Well, if you work for somebody else, your compensation is subject to monthly tax withholding and you're subject to a penalty if you elect to underwithhold. How does it work if you're self-employed? Are you required to pay uh, estimated taxes during the year? And are you subject mm-hmm. to penalty if, if they're not large enough? How, how does that work? Well, uh, because the government always likes to have their share up front, um, <laughs> you have yeah, to They don't pay interest on it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's why, not to divert from that question, but whenever people are hearing, t- bragging about their big tax refunds, I said, well, that just meant the government sat on your money, you know, got to use your money all year and you didn't. Exactly. <laughs> I like to make sure that what I pay in and, you know, what the government needs are pretty close to the same. So what you should do as a self-employed person is at the beginning of the year, you're going to 
try to guess. You should be doing budgeting, and that's just yeah. uh, you know, if you're going to take your business serious, make a budget and figure out where you think you're going to be for the year. Yeah. And you take that and account for the other income you may have. So say you work a full-time job and you also have a um, – you rent a room for Airbnb. Yeah. Um, so maybe you pull in $10,000 a year just from that Airbnb room. Um, if you're withholding at your office, at your full-time job, is going to be enough to pay the taxes on the Airbnb, well, then you don't have to pay estimated taxes. Yeah. That, but you but do – there's a – if your sole source of income is, is from self-employment, then I guess you do have to pay it. Yeah. Uh, or, or, quarterly or, or, yeah, you have to pay quarterly. So what you do is your beginning of the year, you, you calculate what you think it's going to be, and then um, you see if you have to pay into the government throughout the year 90% of whatever your end up ending taxes are. Oh, I see. So every as long as you quarter, pay ninety percent, you're not going to get a penalty. Then I guess ex- exactly. They don't expect you to know to the T how much you're going to have. So yeah. they want you to be at about a ninety percent level. So you calculate that and then pay it. We say it's once a quarter, but the filing dates you have to really pay attention to. Yeah. Um, and the other thing about being self-employed is that you are both the employer and the employee, so you have to pay twice the amount. Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, I always considered that kind of a rip-off. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes sense from a, you know, yeah. uh, logical, theolo- theological, I don't think that's the right word, <laughs> theoretical yeah. program, because yeah. you you are both. You are the employer and yeah. the employee. So, um, yeah, but it hurts. But I don't get twice as much check. back when I retire. <laughs> there is that problem, isn't there? <laughs> So probably one of the biggest mistakes self-employed people make is forgetting or not realizing they need to be filing those quarterly taxes. How do you do that for the uh, Social Security and Medicare? Is that a separate filing? or do you... It is. It's a separate filing, and IRS um, actually has made it to something called direct pay that you can sign up, and so it's actually a fairly easy kind of step now. When you do the calculations at the beginning of the year, and then you – you just have to pay that amount each quarter. So the bigger problem is not actually filing it. Uh, the bigger problem is remembering to hold back one-twelfth of your money every month so that yeah. at the end of the three months it, you have enough money there to go ahead and pay it. Um, <laughs> that, that catches people on the cash flow issue sometimes, yeah, especially if you're in a cyclical business. <laughs> Um, like that's all your volume comes at Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's a real problem. Yeah, so that's the other thing in, in the bookkeeping, banish your bookkeeping nightmares. I actually take you through step-by-step how to calculate that, what the forms look like, and even how to submit it electronically so you don't even have to go to the post office anymore. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, what if I'm self-employed and I make payment to someone else, say, to perform a task for me? Let's say another sole proprietor to uh, film a promotional video. Do I have to uh, give that person a form? And what, you know, what what am I required to do to reflect this payment? Well, so before the end of January in the following year, you have to send what's called a 1099, which goes to independent contractors, and these are sole proprietors, not corporations. So oh. if you're the person doing it is already incorporated themselves. You don't have to send them a 1099. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see how that works. I know I, when I buy something, I don't have to send a 1099 to the to every, <laughs> department everybody. store or something like that. 
And so what you need to do, when you do hire an individual, you need to have them fill out a form that says if they're a independent contractor or not and oh, what their social security number or EIN employer identification number, the federal yeah. number. And so, um, and then in January, you have to actually send these by the end of the year to them saying, yeah. here's how much I say I paid you, and then you also yeah. send that to the government. Yeah. Also, if you receive them, um, say, I do freelance, say I was a graphic artist and I do freelancing. Yeah. Um, if I receive one, I need to check it and make sure that what I, what this guy said he paid me and what I got were the same amount. Yeah. Um, and uh, if it's not, you just contact them back and they can fix it. But yeah. be sure and put that on your in your income line because if you get a bunch of 1099s and your income line is less than that, I pretty much guarantee you'll get audited. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. <laughs> well, just, just uh, what we've discussed so far sounds like a record-keeping and reporting nightmare. Our goal is to grow our business and generate profit, not to spend the bulk of our time on tax filings. Can you offer any suggestions on how self-employed listeners can automate to conserve time and effort, avoid IRS audit, and retain our sanity? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if we we are I'm self-employed too. If self-employed, I can't promise anything about the sanity. <laughs> but I, I can promise you, it, it doesn't have to be difficult. Um, so there's a couple things you can, couple easy, cheap things you can do. One is I know I'm, I've got loose receipts everywhere, right? You're yeah. going out to, you take a client out to lunch. You you write always write your business reason for the lunch to make it deductible, um, and then that piece of paper somewhere between the restaurant and back to my home office gets stuck in the car somewhere. Yeah. Well, instead. I just take a picture of it with my phone. You know, our smartphones have these great cameras on it. Snap a shot, so make it clear that it shows the business purpose. And now you have a digital file of that receipt, which is allowed yeah. by the IRS. And now if you lose that piece of paper, you can throw it away. It's okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that your American Express card or your credit cards, a lot of them have matching services. You can download an app to your smartphone. And when you take a picture of that receipt through the app, it will then match the the receipt to the charge when it comes through the system. I love that feature. <laughs> Additionally, um, there's a lot of great, really inexpensive accounting programs that are now online through apps. Uh, QuickBooks has one called Self-Employed that it will download your bank statement, your bank transactions, it will download your credit card transactions, and then you get to look at them, say, business expense, personal, business, personal. You swipe right, swipe left, so it's kind of like tender for business, I guess. Um, but it also has a neat feature that it uses a GPS in your phone to track your mileage, so you can even make sure you're getting all the business deductions you need for driving to the post office or yeah. going to call on a client. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, in filling out this uh, Schedule C, the, the gross receipts, you know, that seems pretty straightforward. But uh, what determines whether a cash outlay can be written off uh, immediately as an expense or must be capitalized and amortized over time as an asset? That's always kind of bugged me. That, uh, <laughs> well, and mostly the, the rule of thumb is the it's got to be, if it's got more than a two-year life, then you're going to capitalize it. Oh, I um, see. 
But there's something called a Section 179, and I know that besides us accountants, nobody really wants to hear these kind of numbers. <laughs> but, so Section 179, but actually still lets you deduct it in the same year up to $50,000 worth of assets. So for most of us self-employed people, you can still deduct it. It's just one more form you're going to have to fill out. Yeah, okay. Well, um, let's talk briefly about your brand-new book for the self-employed. Vanish your bookkeeping nightmares, the go-to guide for the self-employed to save money, reduce frustration, and satisfy the IRS. What are a few of the counting techniques and skills a self-employed person will learn from reading your book? I think you've touched on some of them already but uh. yeah so what i do is i try to take you step by i assume that you're just starting from scratch so i take you step by step on um here's the kind of things that you need to be tracking here's what tax returns you'll be using though so that you know what you need to set up by knowing what you need ahead of time so let's take that then i explain different types of accounting systems from free to not so free but uh you kind of give give and take uh time versus money right Um, And then I take you through the actual how to record the different types of transactions, incomes, expenses, invoicing, that type of thing. And then how to file your tax returns, how to look at um, month-end reports, how to look how to file your quarterly reports, how to uh, budget and read your financials to help grow your business. I I don't like to spend... I'm an accountant, and I don't even like to spend time on yeah, this. Well, is your book written for trained accountants or for financial managers, or can a novice entrepreneur that knows nothing or very little about accounting uh, knowledge or skills also benefit? It sounds like uh, you don't have to be real skilled to uh, benefit from no. your book. No, my, my series is actually called The Accountant Beside You because I got started writing books, helping my church, yeah. such a mess, that I realized that the volunteers who are usually helping churches and nonprofits and small businesses don't well volunteers aren't small businesses but <laughs> um, don't necessarily have an accounting background so yeah. I wrote the series called The Accountant Beside You my books are all written as if I'm standing right beside you saying okay here's what we do next yeah that's great <laughs> and lots of illustrations I love illustrations <laughs> Well, where best can we go to preview and purchase your book? Where's the best place to see this? Well, Amazon.com shot it. I'm Lisa London, and it's Banish Your Bookkeeping Nightmares, the go-to guide for the self-employed to save time, save money, reduce frustration, and satisfy the IRS. I also have a website, accountantbesideyou.com which has not only my banished books, but also a lot of resources for churches and nonprofits. Yeah. Um, I notice you also have an Excel spreadsheet that people can buy on there for uh, the accountant beside for self-employed also that uh, people might want yeah. to look at on your website. So this is a uh, spreadsheet was designed that was... Um, Nate, so if you don't want to buy a big expensive accounting package, you just need something really simple to keep track of the yeah. basic expenses. Um, it's it's easy to use, and then when you get done, it gets you a little report that shows you in the line items that are the same as the Schedule C line items. Oh, so great. the IRS. So that's I a pretty need handy little like gadget. That myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, to conclude today's program, I have a confession to make. I've been self-employed as a sole proprietor of middle-age renewal training, or MART as we often call it, for the past several years. Also, my background is finance, and I once served as chief financial officer of a $200 million insurance company and signed off on our tax filings and financial reports. I'm far from a novice, but I still get sweaty palms and dedicate long hours when it comes time to file my annual 1040, including the Schedule C. And if your imagination and expertise as a sole proprietor is promoting and growing your business, not accounting, I highly recommend you preview and purchase Lisa London's new book, Banish Your Bookkeeping Nightmares. Heck, even if you are an accountant, it will probably help you. And by the way, if you participate in leadership at your church or serve as a volunteer in a nonprofit organization, say like Boy Scouts or whatever it is, you may or you may know someone that does. As Lisa mentioned, she offers a whole series of accountant beside you resources, both for churches and nonprofits, and you can check them out on her website, account accountantbesideyou.com as she mentioned and thanks a million Lisa London for joining us here today thanks for having me and uh, all you sole proprietors out there, if you're agonizing over the tax season, there's still time. Lisa London and her um, website is the place to turn in her book. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his middle age. Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 